You're listening to Book Insights, brought to you by Memoed, finding and simplifying the world's most powerful ideas to fit into your lifestyle. Each episode is a deep dive into a nonfiction bestseller that can change your life or make you think. In around 30 minutes, you'll learn all about a book that offers wisdom for your life, career, or business. So get ready to live and work smarter, better, and happier with Book Insights. M. Scott Peck's The Road Less Traveled spent 13 years on the New York Times bestseller list, putting it into the Guinness Book of World Records. It sold over 10 million copies in 20 languages. The book became a hit in 1983, after Peck toured the United States giving talks. Even with that effort, no one was more surprised about its success than the author himself. Peck's famous opening words, Life is difficult, struck a chord with people tired of self-help cliches about unlimited potential. The road less traveled offered a psychological way out, but not at the expense of recognizing reality or values and wisdom that had stood the test of time. The subtitle, A New Psychology of Love, Traditional Values and Spiritual Growth, emphasizes this blend of old and new. The road that Peck asks us to travel is the kind of conscious, meaningful life he discovered through personal experience and his work as a psychiatrist. The title is a reference to Robert Frost's famous 1916 poem, The Road Not Taken, which is a commentary on self-deception as we construct the story of our lives. Peck's book tries to do the same, but in psychological language. In exchange for the hard work of self-scrutiny and familiarity with our unconscious, some level of self-realization can be achieved. Peck's main thesis goes as follows. Because life constantly throws up challenges, the only way to keep on the road of personal fulfillment and spiritual growth is through discipline, a commitment to love others, and perhaps a psychotherapist to root out deeper issues. As a psychiatrist, Peck sees mental illness as a phenomenon of the unconscious. He interprets his role as a psychotherapist as being one of a facilitator to help patients sort out their disordered relationship between their conscious and their unconscious selves. The book has references to Carl Jung and principles informed by Milt Erickson and neurolinguistic programming such as the map is not the territory. At a higher level, the road less traveled is about the sometimes mysterious yet unknowable force that guides us to challenge ourselves and grow. In this book insight, we'll break down M. Scott Peck's The Road Less Traveled into its four sections, discipline, love, growth and religion, and grace. We'll begin with discipline, but first, let's look into Peck himself. What drove him to write The Road Less Traveled? Morgan Scott Peck was born in 1936 into relatively affluent circumstances in New York City. Although some of his family's background was Jewish, his parents described themselves as Quakers. After a torrid time at boarding school, he graduated magna cum laude from Harvard, then got his medical degree from Case Western Reserve University. It was the 1960s, and like many of his generation, he joined the opposition to the Vietnam War. At the same time, he considered himself a patriot. The solution was to become a U.S. Army psychiatrist, which he did for several years. 
he went on to work in the U.S. Surgeon General's office as well as New Milford Hospital. As a psychiatrist, he witnessed the emergence of the Gestalt movement in California and the heyday of esalen and experimental drugs. He saw how group therapy took the onus off one-on-one -on -one psychotherapy, making it more accessible to the general population. He would eventually spend 11 years in private practice, with most of the book's case histories coming from this time. Peck's personal journey involved experimenting with the philosophies of Zen Buddhism and Sufism, but he finally made a commitment to Christianity. He sees personal growth as a rigorous and long-term process that may be achieved with or without religion, but possibly not without psychotherapy. He doesn't shy away from using the term God and addresses the question of whether belief in God is in itself a form of psychotherapy. The problem with many self-help books is that they profess to lead you instantly to improved self-confidence. Peck, on the other hand, believes that you can't get to the self-confidence of adulthood without first growing up. To grow up, there is no way around the practice of discipline, meaning going beyond the pursuit of pleasure and the avoidance of pain, to do things because they are right. Peck says, without discipline, we can solve nothing. With only some discipline, we can solve only some problems. With total discipline, we can solve all problems. Peck understands discipline in terms of four requirements. Delaying gratification, acceptance of responsibility, dedication to the truth, and balancing or flexibility. Let's take a closer look at each. How we relate to delaying gratification, in other words, doing what we least like to do first, depends to some extent on how we have been brought up or what kind of role models we had at home or in school. It's even connected to the amount of love we enjoyed as kids. To the degree that love will establish our sense of self-worth as children, it will enable us to find the will, the voluntary discipline, to work and overcome life's difficulties. People often seek help from a psychotherapist, mistakenly thinking of him or her as a kind of repairman who can quickly lift them up. They don't like it when they find they have to do a lot of hard work, thus delaying gratification. This refusal to face pain results in a protracted state of immaturity. Before we can solve our problems, we need to assume responsibility for them. When we don't do this, we turn ourselves into victims who look for the blame elsewhere. We may think a psychotherapist is going to solve our problems, but they're only ever the facilitator. Peck discusses various psychiatric and character disorders. Narcissistic personality disorder is perhaps the hardest to treat successfully because the sufferers do not assume responsibility for their problems and tend to think that the world is at fault. A more common and easily treated form of disorder are neuroses. They touch many of us to varying degrees and are relatively easy to treat because the patients are more apt to assume lucid self-responsibility and demonstrate the resolve to grow. Some people suffer because they persist in clinging to outdated views of reality. If it was good enough for my mother or father, they think, it's good enough for me. Peck refers to this as inappropriate transference of childhood views, values, or expectations into an adult environment. Our parents teach us basically everything, Peck says, including some of our neuroses 
and character defects. The benefit of psychotherapy is that it serves to revise our mistaken or outdated internal maps. The difficulty is that facing truth, the third requirement of discipline, requires continuous and courageous self-examination. Entering psychotherapy is a deliberate act to challenge ourselves. Lack of openness to challenge, on the other hand, is often rationalized as self-protection, but all it protects are our neuroses. The final element of discipline, after delaying gratification, acceptance of responsibility, and dedication to truth, is balancing. Balancing allows us to choose, dose, or temper difficult emotions like anger. It may also involve not doing or saying something, even though that denial may be painful to you. Peck illustrates lack of balance with an example from his own life. Valuing winning, he systematically beat his younger daughter at chess until she broke down in tears one day. His drive to win had threatened a treasured relationship. From that day forward, he learned to balance by accepting an occasional loss as a trade-off to preserve his relationship with his daughter. Peck also discusses bracketing, by which he means the ability, no matter how painful, to put oneself on hold in order to gain new knowledge necessary for personal growth. To win at psychotherapy, you have to be willing to give up some of your previous self, even if it entails a period of depression. People who are unable to give up something of their previous selves suffer from what Peck calls a giving-up neurosis. They are incapable of change and thus incapable of self-healing. In this episode, we began our look into M. Scott Peck's The Road Less Traveled. We learned about Peck's history before discussing his four requirements of discipline. Delaying gratification, acceptance of responsibility, dedication to the truth, and balancing or flexibility. Next time, we'll continue onto the next stepping stones of The Road Less Traveled, love, growth, and religion. Enjoying this episode of Book Insights? If so, keep listening and learning. There's a collection of over 100 titles you can read or listen to now at memodeapp.com slash insights. That's M-E-M-O-D-A-P-P dot com slash insights. Discipline is required to face difficult problems, and that willingness springs from love, not just a generic kind of diffuse love, not sexual love, but real love for oneself. In this episode, we'll continue our dive into M. Scott Peck's The Road Less Traveled by breaking down two more of his principles, love and the connection between growth and religion. Peck describes love as the willingness to extend ourselves for the purpose of nurturing our own or someone else's personal and spiritual growth. This always involves effort, so love is effortful. This kind of love is neither erotic or maternal and allows us to extend the limits of our adolescent ego to a broader spectrum of society. Whereas falling in love and sexual love allow us temporary escape from our problems, Experiencing real love is a permanent, self-enlarging phenomenon. Peck discusses the damage wrought by the myth of romantic love. It often rushes us prematurely into marriage with unhappy outcomes. 
The mistaken beliefs behind this syndrome are that, first, there's only one predestined partner for us in this universe, and second, that love will last forever. In reality, for human beings to experience growth, we need to extend our ego boundaries by engaging with larger social groups. We must experience what Peck calls cathexis, an attraction that enables us to commit to a cause, person, or association. This process of cathexis may result in feelings that are similar to those of falling in love, because it calls up a mystical feeling of oneness with the universe. There's only one path to enlightenment, Peck says, through love and compassion for others and the wider world. Real love doesn't entail dependency or sacrifice. One of the most common psychological conditions is passive-dependent personality disorder. In such cases, people suffer from feeling empty, unfulfilled, and incomplete because they have relied on someone else for their identity. They are people whose interest in others is based on what the others can do for them. When this happens in marriage, it generally indicates that security may have been a trade-off for genuine love. As it is hard to face up to the truth, the condition involves a lot of anger and often addiction issues to dull the pain. There is also the related condition of apparent self-sacrifice, where a person seems to give up a lot for the other in the relationship. One of the partners may even allow himself or herself to be mistreated so that they can feel superior and even self-righteous. This kind of masochism can only end in our own suffering. Love is never simply a feeling, but a commitment. Maturity means committing to love another person, regardless of what we get back. Key characteristics of real love are, first, being able to listen properly, giving a person our full attention, and second, accepting several types of risk. Risk of loss or rejection, the risk of independence, the risk of commitment, and the risk of confrontation. The risk of loss or rejection can make us shy or timid, but it can also lead to crippling lack of self-confidence. The threat of loss can lead us to narrow, diminished lives because we refuse to face the potential pain of loss of a relationship. Yet attempting to avoid legitimate suffering is the root of all emotional illness. The risk of independence can be viewed as a fear of growing up. The more risks we take, the more apt we are to grow out of our family's hand-me-down values. We thus establish a potentially frightening distance between our loved ones and our own evolving selves. It is the questioning of tradition and values that brings forth a beneficial leap of change in adolescence, leading to maturity. If this natural questioning and rebellion is suppressed, this thrust for independence may need to be resolved in adulthood. To illustrate the risk of commitment, Peck explores the case of Rachel a woman who had such control over her emotions that she was unable to cry. She was rigidly committed only to herself, which resulted in sexual frigidity and being deserted by all potential partners. Rachel's recovery depended on the hard work of assuming the risk of commitment to herself, to taking care of herself. This also involved a commitment on her part to psychotherapy, even if it opened a psychological Pandora's box she might have preferred to keep closed. Then there is the risk of confrontation. Increasingly on all levels of life, there is a tendency toward black and white, right and wrong positions about the world. 
Rather than run the risk of confrontation or the potential of violence with others, we choose silence. Because facing conflict requires the self-discipline of listening in a loving way. Resolution is elusive in shallow or superficial relationships. Refusing to take the responsibility for risking oneself is a common pathology which Peck calls separateness. It is often called narcissism, the inability to see others' thoughts, emotions, desires, and aspirations, results in a lack of empathy. The narcissist will see differences as deviances. The narcissist will concern himself with his own destiny as an individual at the expense of the relationship, be it in a marriage, in a group, or in society in general. Peck says that narcissism is difficult to treat because the subject person usually does not perceive that they are narcissistic, or more specifically, that there is a problem. Each person comes to psychotherapy with a signature mix of religious, national, and family cultures that the therapist encourages the client to explore critically. But to grow personally and spiritually, we need to consciously challenge these cultural, social, religious, and political assumptions. Though Peck is generally in favor of spiritual belief as a form of self-growth, he saw plenty of examples of it being detrimental. One of his clients, Kathy, realizes that the blockages in both her personal and professional life can be traced to the dominance of the Catholic Church and her mother's rigorous interpretation of Catholic dogma. He tells us about another, Marcia, who despite apparent wealth and success, is suffering from anhedonia or the inability to feel pleasure and desire. Unlike Kathy, who needed to temper her belief in a disciplinarian God, Marcia needs to tone down the rather aggressive atheism she has inherited from her parents. Through psychotherapy, she slowly accepts that she could at least entertain a discussion about God as a purveyor of meaning. Just by being open to belief, it opens her heart to warmth and goodness. This, in turn, motivates her to pursue her life with more enthusiasm. Then there's Peck's client Theodore, who seemed to have lost his way in life. Despite being brilliant and relatively wealthy, Theodore could not find his way into a career, let alone a steady or satisfying job. He was leading a limited existence as an occasional carpenter. After a romantic deception in college, the death of a good friend, and increasing dependence on alcohol to suppress his pain, Theodore had found it increasingly difficult to make decisions. He lost his enthusiasm and became detached and haughty critical of what he saw as an increasingly distasteful world. Thanks to an exploration of his dreams, Theodore was able to recognize that his home life as a child had been a constant battleground, offering him little protection or the kind of love that could have nourished his growth. His parents were full of good intentions from their belief in punishment as a teaching tool. As a result, they had systematically punished him when he misbehaved by depriving him of everything he loved. Theodore's brothers made fun of him because he loved going to church. What slowly emerged was a blame of God for all of his pain and sorrow. It was only after 18 months of psychotherapy with Peck that he was able to recognize that it was parental misguidance and not God that had put him on a path to nowhere. He stopped blaming God and started attributing what he perceived as the miracles of life to God. Once he had achieved this balance of gratitude, he was able to again find joy in his spiritual life.
In this episode, we continued our exploration into M. Scott Peck's The Road Less Traveled. We discussed Peck's view of love, an effortful willingness to extend ourselves in order to nurture our own or someone else's personal and spiritual growth. It's not romantic, sexual, or materialistic. For Peck, love is commitment, compassion, self-respect, and accepting risk. We also looked into Peck's perspective on growth and religion. Belief in God can be tricky since it often can be destructively dogmatic, but that dogmatic non-belief can be just as damaging. It's possible that psychotherapeutic inquiries may lead away from blind belief, but may deepen the path of true personal and spiritual growth. Thus, the person who enters psychotherapy takes a risk. They may lose part of who they think they are. The reward is an understanding of how things are that's closer to the truth. Next time, we'll conclude our dive into M. Scott Peck's The Road Less Traveled. We'll learn about grace and reflect on the book's legacy. Enjoying this episode of Book Insights? If so, keep listening and learning. There's a collection of over 100 titles you can read or listen to now at memodeapp.com slash insights. That's M-E-M-O-D-A-P-P dot com slash insights. In his 1978 self-help bestseller, The Road Less Traveled, M. Scott Peck observed that belief in God is neither a good nor a bad thing in itself. It is one that requires balance, though. He is insistent that retaining our capacity to perceive the miraculous in life is essential to personal growth. This capacity is at the heart of what he calls the phenomenon of grace. In this episode, we'll conclude our discussion on the road less traveled by learning about grace. Peck attempts to explain why it is that we all react so differently to the major dramas in life. Many people appear to be lightning rods for drama in their lives. They're accident-prone in both a metaphorical and physical sense. Others will go through drama, or even trauma, without any deep emotional scars. They face danger, destruction, and even death with relative serenity. These people even show patterns of narrowly averting disasters without any apparent process of conscious decision-making. Their survival appears instinctual and miraculous, not as a result of conscious choices. Peck ascribes this miraculousness to the miracle of the unconscious, that aspect of ourselves that always knows who we are and wants to make that truth known. It can only manifest in three ways. Through our dreams, through our idle thoughts, and through our behavior. Our lives can therefore be seen as a process of creating a self-conscious self-concept that is aligned with the fundamental reality of who and what we are. When we are in alignment, things tend to go very well. In others' eyes, we even seem to be blessed or lucky. How do we access the miraculous? Dreams are powerful symbols for us to use as nightly problem solvers, although we may need the skills of a psychotherapist to translate them into conscious understanding. We can also pay more attention to our idle thoughts and ruminations. If we take the time to look at them closely, we can see that they reveal truths that the rational parts of our mind are not concerned with. 
Another miraculous revelator of our unconscious is our behavior. We may find ourselves saying we are going to do something, yet nevertheless find ourselves doing something else. The classic example of this is Freudian slips of speech. These mistakes often show how things really are, as opposed to the way we think they are. Finally, it is interesting to consider the notion of serendipity, a psychic phenomenon related to the unconscious where two unrelated things, ideas, images, or people come together for a perceived beneficial outcome. Why and how this happens is a mystery, but Peck's point is that serendipity often brings moments of grace. Any person on a path of self-realization would be foolish to ignore them. Peck illustrates the principle with Carl Jung's related concept of synchronicity, which is a perception of the interrelatedness of all reality in a moment. The classic example is the scarab dream. As Jung tells it, one of his patients, whose mind had been blocked by rationalism, is in his consulting room telling him of his dream about a golden scarab beetle. At that moment, Jung heard a tapping on the window that turned out to be an iridescent beetle trying to get into the room. Jung had the presence of mind to open the window, catch the beetle, and show it to his patient. The patient was awed and impressed by what he felt was an almost paranormal or miraculous event, and it led him to some kind of breakthrough. If serendipity and moments of grace are helping hands on the road to self-realization, mental laziness is an obstacle. Laziness, when viewed as the force of entropy, impedes spiritual growth and is an expression of our sick selves, of our personal devil. Peck sees laziness as the expression of our sick selves, or devil, if you will. A classic example of this is Adolf Eichmann. Eichmann played a key role in the logistics of transporting millions of Jews to their deaths in Nazi concentration camps. Yet philosopher Hannah Arendt attended his trial in Jerusalem. She was struck how Eichmann was in no way sinister and wasn't even particularly anti-Semitic. He was driven mainly by the wish to advance in his career, and in pursuit of that, blocked out of his mind what he knew would be the result of his actions. He was unwilling to make the effort to put himself in other's shoes. Yet this intellectual laziness led him into a moral hellhole of which he was never able to climb out. If there was a conscience inside him, he could not be bothered to interact with it. Discipline is a key element to release us from the entropy that keeps our unconscious clouded and locked. Peck notes, there is a force that somehow pushes us to choose the more difficult path, whereby we can transcend the ire and muck into which we are so often born. This force only manifests via the signs and symbols of the unconscious, and it is easy to miss or ignore them. So working with the unconscious mind involves effort. Peck likens it, as did Jung, to a root or rhizome, which unseen below the surface nourishes us. In this book insight, we learn four key points from M. Scott Peck's The Road Less Traveled. Discipline consists of delaying gratification, acceptance of responsibility, dedication to the truth, and balancing or flexibility. Love is compassion, listening, commitment, and acceptance of risk. Growth can be stymied or encouraged by religion, in either the acceptance or rejection of dogma. We must always open our minds to what we don't know. Lastly, 
Grace is the ability to balance our place in the universe. We must never lose the ability to recognize the miraculous in life. That Peck's Road Less Traveled still has resonance with contemporary readers even after 30 years is a tribute to both Peck's abilities as a writer and to the openness of a broad swath of population toward genuine self-improvement. Contemporary psychiatrists and psychotherapists may find certain aspects of Peck's psychiatric practice quaint or outdated. We can't help but raise an eyebrow when he says that a certain patient took 18 months or even three years to get to the aha moment that modern-day practice, with its enhanced approaches, can now achieve in three months. But on a larger level, Peck's exhortation that more people need to get on the road to self-realization has not gone unheard. Today, many people who wouldn't go into a psychology professional's room nevertheless work on themselves in various ways. While psychiatry justly reserves its exclusivity for when psychosis, character disorder, and severe neuroses are concerned, life coaching and other forms of personal development have emerged over the past 30 years as a valid guide for those who would venture down the road less traveled. Those willing to take up the challenge of reading this book are already taking an important stride toward their own self-fulfillment. Thank you for listening to Book Insights. Check out the rest of our content at memodap.com. Please keep in mind that the information provided in or through our Book Insights episodes is for educational and informational purposes only. It's not intended to be a substitute for advice given by qualified professionals and should not be relied upon to disregard or delay seeking professional advice.